Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we do praise you this morning. We've got a lot to praise you for and a lot to take in and, and really a lot going on here that we don't deserve and we are thankful. The Bible tells us that you are good and your goodness is everlasting and we're getting a taste of it, Father, with your grace toward us, not only today but with our lives. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, we've come now to the place here on Sunday morning, especially Easter Sunday morning, where we will look to your word. And Father, we know that your words are the answer to life, that man does not live by bread alone for his sustenance, he is to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, or else starve to death spiritually. So, Father, we're, we're here, we come to the Word, and we ask for you to speak to our hearts that we would believe in you, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, please turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 28, the final chapter of the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We have the pew Bibles there in front of you. That's the black book in, the, in front of you. And it's page 918. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first gospel. And we're at the final chapter of Matthew, chapter 28. In that Black Pew Bible, it's page 918. A couple weeks ago, I started an Easter sermon series that we were going to go through the story of Easter. I want you to know very well what the Bible says. You know, the pastor's job is to make sure that you all know what the Word of God says because mankind's job is to worship God. He made us that we would worship Him. He made us that we would love Him and glorify Him. That's His whole purpose in creating us. That's who we are to be. But we're not able to do that as much as we might try and as good as our works might be whether we, if we have not known Him. We have, come, we have to come to know Him. We have to understand Him and that only happens through His Word. As much as we may be trying apart from His Word, it will never happen. And so my responsibility ultimately is just to get God's word to you and for you to believe it, which God does. He gives you that faith. And so a couple weeks ago, I wanted to make sure you understood what really happens at Easter. What is uh, Good Friday? What does it mean that Christ was crucified? Why was he crucified? I wanted you to see how he was beaten and all that he had to go through leading up to that. So a couple weeks ago, I preached the first part, which is the mocking of Jesus. Just the idea that he was mocked, made fun of, humiliated, embarrassed. They did all of that to him. You can listen to all of these sermons on our website. So the first one was Jesus is mocked. Then the second one was that he was crucified. We looked at what does it mean to be crucified, nailed to a cross? What does it mean for him to have to receive that punishment? What type of a death is that? And we looked at that. Then this past Friday, just two nights ago, at our Good Friday service, we looked at the death of Jesus. What is death? What does death mean? Death is so familiar to us, yet in many ways it is mysterious. Where are they? What happened? What caused it? Are they better off or are they not better off? Or why do I hurt with it? Why do we try to tell it to be a good thing, but why do I feel it as a bad thing? Death's heavy. We looked at what is death, and then why did Jesus have to die? And then today, the fourth and final part of this Easter series is that Jesus is alive. This is where it all culminates. 
This is the climax of our message, if you will. If you've never been to church before, and if you have never heard anything about Jesus before, you chose the the best day to come because I'm preaching on the living Jesus. I'm going to try to get through everything that the Bible says and hit you with the very most important part today. He's alive. Easter, though, is really, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's really not supposed to be any more special. We make it more special, but it's really every Sunday that's that way. The Bible doesn't tell us about Easter. The Bible tells us that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and so God's people started meeting every first day of the week. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday for those who believe in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection is that important. Well, for us, Easter has other things going on. It's been a very, very busy week for us. We get asked a lot. I've had so many Reese's peanut butter Easter bunnies this week. I mean, I just love those. I also had the Easter egg M&M peanut butter ones. I've had all the Easter candy because it's in the store and it's a good, good deal. And There's a lot that goes on at Easter. And, and that, that'll create some emotions. I've, I've, I've spent extra time, my wife too, with our children this week talking about Easter and what it means. We, we've done eggs and we've done uh, things at home and we've made some special cinnamon rolls and we, we've done a special little garden. We've done all types of things that Easter has brought about. So you might say that Easter's a, a little bit of an emotional time. You know, a lot of times when we say that somebody's emotional, we kind of mean that as a, as, a, as a mark on them, you know, a reproach. Like she's too emotional or, or he's too emotional or they're, they're a drama queen or, or something like that. You, you know that. But uh, emotions aren't always bad things, right? Emotions can be good. Last night as Villanova knocked off Kansas, loved that. Uh, the coach of Villanova, Jay Wright, said after the game that he saw Archie Diacono tearing up on the free throw line. That wasn't a bad thing at all. He wasn't meaning anything negative about that. He said, my, my, my senior, my four-year starter, the man who's worn the Villanova jersey more than anybody in the history of Villanova, that was his 142nd game last night for Villanova in four years. That's a lot, of, a lot of times wearing that jersey. It meant something for him to make the Final Four last night. He said he saw him tearing up. Emotions can be a good thing, and you know that. Emotions can be a good thing, and, and Easter's kind of brought that about. Thirteen years ago, when I, when I started here, I wanted so badly for, for God to be able to use, use our church. And as I've grown to love this town and, and this people, I, I can say wholeheartedly that, man, Fair, Fairdale means so, so much to me. This is, this is my children's home. This is where they're born and raised. This is, this is home to me and Val. And we had that Easter egg hunt yesterday and there were so many kids there and so many people there and so much joy and happiness there. I saw parent after parent after parent up there on the, the high school football field out like this filming their kids and smiling. I was just thinking to myself, man, this is, this is awesome. I, I hope that God allows us to do it again next year and I hope that there's even more people there and just the joy of having people out on a sunny day in the middle of spring and, and people being happy will make me emotional. I thought, you know, I love these people. It got me thinking about how many people here in this town connected to the high school, connected to our town, in our neighborhoods, up at the ball field where we play ball, how many people that just really matter to me. And, 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 and I'm saying that because Easter's kind of brought out some of my emotions because it's a big deal. I want you all to know that emotions aren't necessarily bad. I hope you don't 
cry too much, and I hope you don't whine too much, and I hope you don't complain too much, and I hope all of those emotions are under control, but hey, if every once in a while you're overcome with some, some happiness or some joy or some laughter, that would not be bad for you, right? That would be good. And I want to show you today in this small passage on the resurrection, Matthew 28, that there are just emotions coming out. They're really not even the main thrust of the passage. The main thrust of the passage is that Jesus died for our sins and he came back to life. You know that. Y'all came here today knowing I was going to talk about that, right? But I want you to see the emotions that are in it. Good, appropriate emotions. Today, I've got three appropriate emotions for you. Let's read from Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, I think you know that the Sabbath is Saturday. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I want to stop right there for just a second, just give you a little, a little footnote. Remember, the reason the stone was put there is so that nobody could get in or nobody could get out. You need to see in this passage that the works and efforts of men to stop God are seriously meaningless. You're not going to stop God. The efforts of men and the works of men are not. Try as we might. Try to kill us all. It, it's, it's not going to happen. You can't stop God. This huge stone was put there to keep people from getting into the body and in their minds to keep him from getting out. That, so, that stone in their minds seemed to seal it up, except for God didn't want it sealed up. So we read here, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's all there is. We make a big deal about the moved stone and the rolled away stone and the empty tomb and all that, but it was just a little simple verse in the Bible because God moved the stone away. That's how we're to understand it. Verse 3, His, that's the angel's appearance, was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. The angel that came from God that moved the stone is fully aware that the most important thing going on right now is that the God-man Jesus was killed on that cross and now he is living. That's the most important thing and we've got to deal with that. He knows that's why those women are there. He knows that's why he rolled the stone away. He knows that's why we're here today. We're trying to see if we're going to believe it or not. So, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Look at verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. That's a half a verse, but there's a whole lot in it. He's somewhere, but he's not where they put him when he was dead. And then, just to strengthen us on the importance of the Word of God, he says, as he told you he would, as he said. Then he says, come, see the place where he lay. He wants them to examine the evidence. He wants them to see that there, the spot they laid him, he's no longer there. He wants them to see it. Verse 7, then go quickly 
and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's not one of those passages that's over the top or anything. It's not one of those passages that you read and you think, what in the world is that talking about? It really is just a, just a story. You're able to understand the plot and the context and all of that. But it's the passage at the end of Matthew's gospel that shows us that the Jesus who died for our sins is now living. And Christianity, listen, Christianity does not want to come to you with this big, weird, new message to blow you away and catch you off guard and surprise you and fascinate you with something just so interesting that you're kind of caught up in it. It doesn't want to do that. We're not hoping that you come here today and it's such an amazing experience that you're thinking, wow, maybe I do want to be a Christian. Christianity doesn't want to do that. Christianity wants you to hear what God has done in his love for you and then it wants you to believe it. I don't want to go over the top I don't want to try to force you. I want to beg you. I've prayed for you. I want you to hear what God has said, and then I want you to believe it. The Bible says that God sent Jesus to die. The reason why crucified is in here is because of our sins. The Bible wants every one of us to humble ourselves and say, I have sinned before God. I'm guilty in my sins. And if nothing changes about me or if, or if nothing changes in my life, then I will remain a, a guilty sinner in God's eyes. The Bible doesn't hold back on that. But it tells us that out of God's love for us, God isn't saying for you to do something about it. That's not the Christian message. And God is not saying that here's, here's what you need to do if you do these, these five steps or this plan, then that will fix your life too. He doesn't say that. The Bible says that Jesus came, paid it all, did the work, died on the cross, finished it. He even said on the cross, it's finished. Jesus paid it all. That he gives us the victory. That if you will believe that Jesus' death on the cross was because of your sins then God will forgive you of your sins and change your life. That's what the resurrection's about. And the death is what Jesus had to do as the sacrifice and punishment for our sins. And the resurrection is what God did to Jesus as he was dead to show this is the real thing. This is the answer to your life. This is the answer to any question or problem you might have. This is the answer to your arrogance and your pride. See, a lot of people have come to think that Christianity is just for those people that need it. And, and, and absolutely it is that for the people that need it. For the people that are in the world that are down and out, struggling, raised in a rough family, poor, broke, bad decisions, messed up, sick, dying, all of that sort of stuff, absolutely, we make no bones about that. Yeah, you need God, is what we would say. But it's not just for those type of people. It's for every type of person. The person's over here has never made a bad decision in his life, great decision after great decision, wise as can be, great family, smart, got it all together, saves his money, good steward, knows how to do things, impacts people, cares for the poor, welcomes the needy, all of that kind of stuff. It's for that person too because our problem is not how we do life. 
Our problem is that we've sinned against God. Please hear that. Some of y'all are great people. Some of y'all are so much more admirable of people than I am. And we need God the same. We all need God. We all need to be right with God. And that's what Christianity is about. That's why the message can be Jesus did it all. Jesus died for our sins. Our problem isn't our goodness or our badness. Our problem isn't our decision-making or our circumstances or our, dis- or, or, or our consequences and our upbringing and all that. And so often it is reduced to that in, 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 in our world. But it's not really. Very simply, it's that my heart and your heart has sinned against God. And I don't think there's anybody in the room that really wants to deny that or argue that. So... Let's, let's, let's not look at everybody else and see why they are the way they are. Let's, let's sit here this morning and let's think about ourselves and our own hearts and say, hey, have I sinned against God? And, and I want you to hear that if you'll say yes to that, I've got the answer. That God says in his love for you, he sent his son to die in your place, to be punished in your place. You don't have to die. You don't have to be punished if you will embrace the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. That's what Christianity is about. That's why we hinge it all on the death, burial, and resurrection. That's why there's a lot of people who say they're Christian, but you really know they're not because their life isn't about dealing with sin. Because you can't take something as huge as a death, burial, and resurrection. That's a big deal, right? You can't take somebody being nailed to the cross and say, I'm a Christian, and then be indifferent toward your life and your sin or your obedience or things like that. The the issue is, what are you going to make of Jesus and his cross and his resurrection? R.C. Sproul says it like this. Christianity rests on the certainty of Jesus' resurrection as an occurrence in history. The Gospels have it as their goal. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances... And also the book of Acts insists upon the resurrection. Christianity will not make sense. The Bible will not make sense if you take away the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul, he goes on to say, Paul, the Apostle Paul, regarded the resurrection as indisputable proof that the message about Jesus as judge and Savior is true. If you're going to say, Happy Easter, I believe Jesus rose from the the grave, then you have to believe that sin is a real thing, that God is a real judge, and he's also a Savior. Because he judged Christ on the cross and killed him so that he would not judge us and kill us. And he saves us, just like he saved Jesus uh, on the third day with the resurrection. And he saves us when we believe it. And we escape the judgment. That's why God is such a good and merciful God to us. But it's all about the resurrection. Well, as I've already said, when we get to thinking about Easter and the resurrection, there are some appropriate emotions. And I want you to see them in this passage today. They are, number one, fear. Number two, haste. And number three, worship. Now, worship may not be an adjective, but you know what I mean. Number one, fear. Number two, haste. And number three, worship. Let's look here. It says, 
Jesus died on a Friday, then there's that Saturday, which is the just darkest, loneliest, most mysterious day that we know in the history of the world. The Bible didn't really tell us anything about it. There's not to be any work done on the Sabbath for Jewish people. And so once the Sabbath is ending, at the end of Saturday, they can get back to doing things. So after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary and, and then the other Mary, they went to the tomb. Now, why they were going there, what they expected to do, who knows? Verse 2 Behold, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's strange enough. That does not happen very often. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And look at verse 4. Here's our first one, fear. Fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, if you are set to guard a tomb, you ought to be pretty tough, Right? If you are set to guard a tomb, you ought to be the person that doesn't get scared when troubles come. You're the person put there in case it gets scary. You're the person put there in case something happens. If there was no chance of it getting scary, then we could have put anybody there. Let's grab a baby or a five-year-old and just put them there. Keep watch over it. No, they put guards there in case something was to happen. But this burial and resurrection is so monumental. The death of God is such a big thing that when the angel rolled the stone back, it was clearly the work of God. And so the guards, even the guards, fell down afraid. They trembled, and it says that they were like dead men. So they weren't freaking out. They were like unconscious, passed out. They were afraid. Fear is in this passage. But they're not afraid right here uh, of Jesus necessarily. They're afraid of the setting. But we have some more. Let's keep going. If you jump down to, uh, to verse 5, it says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. So the guards are afraid, but his message to the women is, don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid in this setting. There is some fear here, because they didn't understand, but the message from the angel is, hey, don't be afraid. Look over to verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. So it's not the type of fear where they're, it's not the type of fear where they're, they're scared and they don't know what to do and they're, they're falling down like dead men. It's that good type of fear. And I hope that you here today know the difference between a bad fear and a good fear, right? When, when, when I'm running late to try to get somewhere and I'm hitting about 85 on this Gene Snyder, knowing that it's 65, I'm a little bit afraid every time I see a cop in the rear view. That's a good fear. I should be afraid of that. I should be afraid that that's bad driving. I should be afraid that I don't want them to pull me over. A ticket would be bad. And just like I was so afraid when I got called to the principal's office, or I was so afraid when I did something that was going to disappoint my mom and dad. There's some good fears, right? You ought to say to somebody, you ought to be afraid if you're doing foolish things. There's some good fears. This wasn't afraid because of, of, of Jesus and the angel. This was a good fear. The angel had just told them, Jesus is alive, he's not here, why are you looking for him here? He's risen, now you go get somewhere and tell them, and so they're like, okay, yes, let's go. It said they had great joy. They were smiling, rejoicing, probably high-fiving while they ran. The very thing they had hoped in that they thought was lost was now clearly true. The tomb was empty. But they were a little bit fearful too. That's a good fear, like, wow, this is heavy. This is some serious stuff. You ever all of a sudden been in a serious situation and noticed that you're a little bit nervous? Yeah. 
You ever been asked to speak in front of a bunch of people? You ever had to do an oral book report in high school? You're fearful. Not because anything's bad. Nobody's about to kill you or get you in trouble. You're just like, man, this is not good. There's some good fear out there. Look at verse 10. Now they see Jesus. Look what he says to them. Do not be afraid. I want to ask you here today on your emotions, where's fear? What are you afraid of? I get it that you may be one of those people that's not afraid of anything. But when you start thinking about important things, are, are you afraid? Do you fear God? Do you fear something bad happening? Are you able to have that faith in God knowing that one day you're going to meet Him, one day you're going to stand before Him, and you can't wait for that, you're looking forward to it because you know He loves you and you know your sins are forgiven? Or is it that type of fear that you won't admit that it's back there and you're thinking, well, it's not going to happen? See, if you're trying to convince yourself that it's not going to happen, that, that means you're afraid of it, you're fearful of it, and you're trying to say it's not true. But fear is an emotion in this passage. And listen, you know what? Honestly, religious talk in the world today brings about a lot of fear. The reason why it's pretty common to say there's two things you don't talk about, religion and politics, is because ultimately the conversation makes us fearful. What if they're right and what if I'm wrong? Why does it upset people? Because fear is an element. But I want you to know in this passage that there are people who don't understand. They were guarding the tomb because they were glad that he had been crucified and killed. They wanted him done away with. So there's some people in the passage that are afraid. But then there's people that know God in this passage, the angel and Jesus, who say, don't be afraid. The Bible teaches us that we should not fear. Whom shall I fear, the Bible asks. In the famous Psalm 23, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The person who has come to believe that Jesus died for him, that God punished Jesus so that he would not punish us, is not afraid. They don't have anything to fear if they are in the love of God. The Bible says that anybody that is in Christ has no condemnation on them. None. There is zero condemnation for the person whose sins are forgiven. Even if you sin again, God is not going to crush you. Even if you sin again, God is not going to send you to hell. He's not going to punish you because you are trusting in Christ and your sins are forgiven. What is there to fear when God Almighty loves you and calls you His own? There's some good emotions that come about when we start talking about the resurrection. One is fear. The second is haste. And I love this one. I love this point so much, I thought about just having one point today. Haste. Haste, if you don't know what that word means, is like, hey, let's get to it. Come on. we got something to do. Haste is an urgency of movement or action. If you've ever had a good coach, then he understands what haste is. If you had one of those moms that was always on your rear, you know what haste is, okay? Haste is, come on, let's go, we got to do something. And it's all in this passage as a good emotion. I like it. Look here at verse 6. The angel is talking to them. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. The very message is, hey, hey, come on, let's go, I'll show you. 
Hey, those guards, they're scared to death. They fell over there. They're acting like dead men. But y'all, don't be afraid. Come here, I'm going to show you. But haste is not to be confused at all with like a hurry, I'm rushed. It's not. There's a big difference. You ever heard the phrase, hurry up and slow down? There's a big difference from being hurried, rushed, I'm not really focused, to being, we got things to do. Let's stay on the ball. I got a to-do list. Let's make it happen. Places to be, people to see, can absolutely be a good thing. That's what haste is. And the angel, in a very good way, says, hey, he's not here. He told us he was coming back from the dead. He told us he was going to live again. He told us he's the answer if we would believe in him. And guess what? He did it. Come here, let me show you. And he's telling them, let's go look. Let's go see the empty tomb. I'll show you the spot where he was laying, which means his death had purpose. And now that he's alive, you have to deal with his death. Well, then why did he die? For our sins. Let's believe that. Let's repent. Let's run to God and say, forgive me. There is something to be understood here. And haste helps us. Look at the very next verse. Verse 7. After he says, come and see the empty tomb, look at verse 7. Then go quickly. Well, what's, the, what's the hurry? Do you think anybody's ever read verse 7 and said, what, what's all the rush about? I mean, I'd like to just sit back down on the couch for a little bit, and can I wait till noon? Nobody would ever said that. Nobody's ever asked that in the passage. Is there a hurry here? No, not necessarily. Well, then why go quickly? Because the dead man's alive. Because Jesus, who is God, died for our sins, and now he's back. You don't have to ask why. The resurrection alone makes us have haste. It makes our lives have purpose. It makes us wake up on a Sunday and go to church. It makes us care for the least of these. It makes us work our rear off all week, make a good hard-earned living, and then think, wonder who needs some help. Why would I spend it all on me? It makes us think the poor people need to be remembered. It makes us think low-income people ought to be supported. It makes us think, I wonder if there's some hungry people. What about those people in prison, how we might serve them? It makes us think about other people. It brings purpose to us. Why? Because death has been dealt with in the cross and in the resurrection. It brings haste. It's awesome. Verse 6 says, come. Verse 7 says, go quickly and tell. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly. They took off. He didn't say, hey, go quickly. They say, okay. And they just take their time. No, they, they went quickly. It's just natural that haste comes. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran. You see that? They ran. Ran. They're not kids. The disciples weren't teenagers. Mary and them weren't teenagers. But they ran. Hey, you don't see adults run a lot. It's awful going to the zoo with your little kids. Because when you make that curve right there by the, by the uh, merry-go-round coming up on the giraffes, y'all know where that is, and it stinks so bad in that little indoor thing that they have there, when you can see the giraffes, the kids take off, you got the rhinos on the right, and the giraffes are right there, and they take off, and they're saying, come on, come on, I'm, and I'm doing like this, I'm coming. You don't feel like running. I, I, I feel like I can't run anymore. But if some stranger would have snatched them up and kept running, you know what I'd have done? Boom, been gone. If they would have fallen into the rhino pit, guess what I'd have done? I'd have ran. There are times when we run, right? Even the slowest, oldest, most out of shape will run if there's need to. 
And we may not be literally running, but you know what? My life's got a purpose to it. My heart's got a calling upon it. The people in our world need love, don't they? How can we be lazy and, 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 and sit around and not get to the next thing? I love it when I meet these people who have been working like crazy and they've got like 30 vacation days stored up and you think, why haven't you used those? And they think, there's work to do. Work's counting on me. I love it. I meet so many JCPS teachers who've got like tons of vacation days stored up. And you think, why haven't you used those? And they say, love the students. Love to be in their lives. That's what we're doing. Right? There's haste about that. And, and the message of Jesus is wanting us to be that way. I heard a man say years ago, and I've never forgotten it, I don't even remember his name, that life is too short and hell is too sure for you to be a lazy believer in Jesus. Life's too short. And hell is too sure for me to just be on my couch all the time. Or to sit in my office all the time telling y'all that I'm doing something. Isn't there something that we should be doing? And that's the very message here. Again, if we would have just read this, this passage 1 through 10 and not spent much time on it, we would have never really picked up on the haste. We would have focused on death, burial, and resurrection like we should. But I want you to see the emotion that comes with it. It's because Jesus is alive that haste, let's go, quickly is in the passage, that they are running. Look what it says in verse 8. They ran to tell his disciples. They weren't running out of time necessarily. They weren't late. They just knew, hey, this is good. I want to. I want to tell somebody else. Look at verse 9. You can see the haste here meet its purpose in verse 9. When they got there, behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They see Jesus, what it's all about. They didn't want to go anywhere else past Jesus. So they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. There's, there's haste here. It's a go. Hey, come, let me see. Let's go quickly. There's haste. I want to ask you in a very real sense, does your life have a hasteness to it? Does your life have purpose? Are, are you ready for tomorrow because there's something you've got to do? Let me, let me ask you seriously, is there somebody in this town, in our world right now, that, that really needs you to know them and care for them and support them and love them and to point them to the truth? Absolutely there is. There's a whole lot of them. And this is why we ought to be about it. The resurrection brings about this emotion of haste. Then lastly, it brings about worship. Fear, haste, and worship. After all of that, and you get the context, verse 9, they get to Jesus, and they came and took hold of His feet, and they worshipped Him. The word worship just means to ascribe worth to something. It's to say this is worth a lot. I think you know that. You can see a similarity in the words with the W-O-R. That's what it means. When you put all of your attention on something, people say, man, you're, you're practically worshiping it. This is what we do to God. We worship Him. Now the Bible teaches us that the only thing that we should worship is God. The only thing to us that has value and worth ultimately, infinitely, is God. Right? This is why we shouldn't worship our car or our shoes or something like that because they don't last forever. 
And it would be silly to put all of that attention or time or, or energy or everything into it and act like it's the most important thing than to just have lost it. But to God, who has ultimate worth to us, that's who we worship. So what we should be doing with our lives is, is orienting our emotions, our experiences, our everything, even our families and our work and, and our energies, really everything, around the worth of God. We want our lives to say, God is worth a lot. We want people to say, man, he, he, he has a good, healthy fear about him in life. Why? Because I love God. Because God's worthy. We want people to say, man, he's on the ball. Man, he's got some purpose. Man, you can depend on him. He's doing things. Why? Because God is worthy. We want our lives to show the worth of God. Now, these people here in this passage had come to know the worth of Jesus. They weren't completely understanding the whole redemption thing that they needed him to die for their salvation. But they knew that he was God and that he was worthy. When he died and he was buried and they didn't know where he was now, they were kind of in the dark, almost like, what, what's going on? Then when they found out that he was alive, it clicked. It made sense. The resurrection had caused them to understand his ultimate worth. Not just in being God Almighty, the great teacher, the one who never sinned, but in the Savior as well. And I want to ask you here today, do you have that worship of God? Yes, he's God. But yes, he's my Savior. See, when we start talking about a Savior, we're talking about a Savior from sin, so we have to deal with our sin, which means we have to humble ourselves, which means we have to be repenting and seeking forgiveness from God. See, there's a, there's a, there's a whole lot of, of God reverence in saying, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, and saying, I hope the, uh, the, the good man upstairs is going to take care of me, and my, my Father in heaven, and all that kind of stuff. And, and we appreciate all that, and that's good, and I talk like that too, but that's only a part of it. Many a people have known God to be God and yet not known Him to be Savior. Many. We have to know Him as Savior. We have, to, we have to come to the place in our life where we say, this God, the true God, is worthy not only because of who He is, but because of what He did with His Son on my behalf. We have to deal with it on that level. We have to be Christians, meaning a Christian is somebody that follows the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the answer, the one who died for our sins. That's what real Christians are, followers of Jesus. And it's at that place where we start to understand that God is worthy. And when we start to understand that God is worthy, then we will worship him as they were doing. It says they fell down at their feet and worshiped. Well, even then... Jesus responds and says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see that even after they understood that, Jesus wants his people to still have fear and haste as they worship. See, our lives are not to stop here. In some weird situation, y'all were to say, hey, this was so good today. Can we stay here the rest of the day? I know it would never happen, but just imagine. This is so good, can we stay here the rest of the day? Or actually, can we do it again tomorrow? You know, that type of talk, our answer should be no. No. We need to keep this mindset, the worship of the worth of God, and then we need to go be about it. 
We need to go to work tomorrow. We need to work our long day, sweat, do our job, be faithful, be dependable while we worship God so that the world might see that God is real and that He is a Savior and that Jesus is Lord. That's what we want to do. And we see this coming out in this passage of the resurrection. Fear, haste, and worship. Well, when you take Easter and you, 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 you apply it to our life experiences, which I've, which I've tried to talk about today. I want to set Easter, burial of Jesus after his death, and the resurrection, I want to set it before you in front of the three things of life that we know to be so bad. I've talked about these before. I want to say it again. Every one of us, whether our lives are falling apart or whether they are completely put together, every one of us must deal with these three evil things. Number one, death. Death happens to all of us. Even the best of people, the wisest, the smartest, even the nicest people must die. You've got to deal with that. Secondly, the devil, he's real. Now, he may not be ruining your life, but he's ruining some people. I've got to remind you that the devil is not God. He's not omnipresent. God can be working in every one of our lives at the same time. That's what it means for God to be everywhere. Okay, he's able to do that. The devil's not. Now, he's got demons and stuff that work for him, but he's not able to be hurting you and hurting me at the same time all the time. Need to remember that. He's not God. He's not omnipresent, right? The Bible teaches us that the devil goes over here and tries to ruin these people, and it either works or doesn't work, but then he says he leaves and says, I'll try again later, and goes to find somebody else. The Bible tells us on multiple occasions that the devil is looking around, seeing to find somebody that he can mess up. The devil works like that, but he's there. So he may not be ruining your family right now. He might not, but he's ruining somebody's right now. So death is a real issue, the devil's a real issue, and then lastly, sin is a real issue in the world. We, we all sin. Sometimes it's big bad things that ruin our witness and our testimony. Sometimes it's really bad things that ruin our character and make our neighbors hate us and don't want to live beside us. Sometimes it's terrible things, but sometimes it's just all inward. And you might be here today with that type of a life. Everything's going on, nobody knows what you're dealing with. Sometimes we hear these stories, and they're just mind-blowing, like, man, I didn't know he was going through all that. And everybody says, man, I, t- I just talked to him just the other day. He seemed to be a great guy. I-, I never suspected anything. But you know, whether you are religious or not, whether you're just here because Grandma invited you, or, or whether you're here because you're searching, or whether you're here because you love Jesus, you know that death, devil, and sin are real factors to everybody. And I want to tell you here today, There's not an answer that will overcome all three of those. There are some answers to some of those, okay? You get some good influences around you, you will sin less. If you have one of them really good moms that beat you and took care of you, then you probably sin a little less than the person that didn't. If you make some good decisions, it'll seem like the devil's not on you as much. So good decisions are important. None of us are going to escape death. And whether it's sin, or whether it's the devil, or whether it's death, or whether it's two of the three, or all of the three, I want to ask you here today, what's your answer for it? What's your answer for it? And I'm going to tell you, there is not an answer. There is no comfort other than God loves me. And He showed it to me in Jesus. When He nailed His Son to the cross and punished Him on my behalf, And then he buried him, and three days later, the Bible says, God raised him from the dead to give us victory. 
There is no answer other than that. So whenever sin or the devil or death come tearing you up, there's not going to be an answer and there's not going to be a comfort other than Jesus. The Bible teaches us that the person that comes to believe in Jesus has the power of the resurrection inside of them. The Bible teaches us that Jesus will change your life. The Bible teaches us that God will cleanse our conscience. That guilt and shame will go away when we come to submit to God and be forgiven of our sins and receive the peace that He gives. And I want to ask you here today, in light of death, devil, and sin, will you believe in Jesus? Will you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that God raised Him from the dead to show you can trust Him? Jesus is able to change our lives. Jesus is able to save us. And that's what Easter's all about. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, which is the confirmation from God to us that His love can be trusted. In Galatians 2.20, Paul sums it up like this. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now listen to this next sentence. And the life that I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is Christianity. The life that I now live, I am living it with fear, a good healthy fear, with haste, a good purpose to my life, with worship because life's about God now, it's not about me. Fear, haste, and worship. I'm living that life because God loves me and He gave His Son for me. So my sins, my death, and the devil have been defeated on my behalf. Would you believe that today and so be on your way to heaven and the forgiveness of sins? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Easter. God, thank you for Matthew chapter 28 and these three appropriate emotions. Oh God, I pray that we would have a good healthy fear in life. I pray that we would have purpose and haste to it. And God, I pray that our lives would be about worship to you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that in your great wisdom you dealt with our sins that we would not have to deal with them. What a merciful God. God, we're glad to be here today. And we, on many levels, are in tune with our emotions now. And we pray, God, that it would be worship to you and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.